Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Don't get me wrong. I'd love to be on a jury, but the reality is, given my background and what I do, it would be malpractice for any attorney to take the risk of putting me on a jury. I I, I know that, and and so it's just kind of like, okay, well, you can come down there, and I, I, I will. I mean, I'm not going to try to get out of jury duty, but I'm just ta- I, I'm taking – I'm taking up a space that some other person who might actually get put on a jury would be taking up. Now, I wouldn't mind being on a on a, on a short jury. I mean, I don't want to, I wouldn't want to be like weeks and weeks and I, I'd be one of those people, you know. <laughs> but a couple of days, I think it would, it would be interesting. But I mean, seriously, what lawyer is going to want me on a jury? Nobody. Nobody. But got that notice anyways there should be like maybe an annotation in some personnel file saying okay you know this he's been down here before (laughs) we we tried this one that was the thing the last time i was down at the courthouse this was the thing that sort of bothered me they had um I, i think they've taken this away now but in the jurors room they had a a soda machine but it was free you know so you could and and so you know you got free soda it was like and they were like the 16 ounce bottles of stuff again it didn't do this reflected on the human condition because after I was on one panel and they finally they, they sent me home, I was discharged. And so I went to the thing. I got a, a bottle of water because you know, I had a bottle of water. I was watching some of my other projective, prospective jurors. Once they found out the soda machine was free, it was like a free-for-all. I mean, they're punching the buttons. Like I, I, was, I literally watched this one person walk away with like four of these like 16-ounce bottles of Coke. And it was just sort of like, eh, come on. But in any event, it is a public service. If you ever get an opportunity to be on a jury, do it. We start out every program with three big things, stories that I think you need to know about or interesting talkable stories to discuss at the coffee closet or at the water cooler or at lunch. We start with the saga of an ESPN sports anchor named Sage Steele. Um, you, you would, if you don't know the name, you, you might recognize her. She's an attractive um, African-American woman who, um, she's, I don't know that she's one of their main anchors, but, but she does Sports Center and things like that. Well, okay, over the weekend, there were, of course, huge protests at various airports that broke out after Donald Trump, you know, rolled out, his, after President Trump rolled out his immigration orders. So she is in the process. She's in Los Angeles. And she is scheduled to fly to Houston after uh, for the Super Bowl. So I've got, matter of fact, at WTMJ.com on both the main page and the Jeff Wagner Show page, we've got a link to the story, including a link to the Instagram post that she put out. Because what happens is, okay, so she's heading for the airport with lots of other people. Apparently, because there are so many protesters in Los Angeles at the airport LAX, what they've done is they've stopped allowing cars to come into the airport. So the protesters have, for all intents and purposes, shut down the airport. People can't get there easily. So what people are doing is they're having to literally get out of their cars, do whatever they have to do, and walk somewhere between a mile and two miles, carrying their luggage to try to get into the airport. So what she does is she sends out an Instagram picture. I'm looking at it now, and again, we've got a link to it on our website under the Jeff Wagner Three Big Things. And it shows all the people that are mobbing LAX. And here's what she writes. So, this is why thousands of us dragged luggage nearly two miles to get to LAX, but still missed our flights. 
Fortunately, a seven-hour wait for the next flight to Houston won't affect me that much, but my heart sank for the elderly and the parents with small children who did their best to walk all that way but had no chance of making their flights. I love witnessing people exercise their right to protest, but it saddened me to see the joy on their faces, knowing that they were successful in disrupting so many people's travel plans. Yes, immigrants were affected by this as well. Brilliant. Us. So essentially, she says, you know, all these protesters, they're all so happy. They've kind of shut down the airport. Well, what happened is, you know, you had all these people who were dragging their baggage and trying to get to their flights, including her, but all sorts of other people as well. And because of these protests, they weren't able to get through. They ended up missing their flights. We're going to have to wait for hours. And the protesters seemed happy about that. As you might expect, she is now being ripped for not standing up for immigrants, for being so self-centered. How dare she complain that she missed her flight and had to move her luggage two miles? Don't, doesn't she understand the bigger picture? Let's open up the phone lines. 414-799-1620, 800-877-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Toll-Free Talk Line. Does she deserve to be criticized? Is this an insensitive Instagram report by an out-of-touch media personality, or is this fair criticism? You've got all these protesters. They're jumping up and down. They're really happy that they've created this disruption. Well, what about the people who have been disrupted by these protests? Do they have a legitimate right to be unhappy with the protesters? 414-799-1620, That's the Accident Mortgage Toll-Free Talk Line. And if that were you, and that's the way I think it's always best to look at it, you know, you've got a flight. You're with your kids. You know, and you're taking your young children and you guys have a flight to, I don't know, go visit your parents across the country or, you know, whatever, or go on vacation. You have to get out of your vehicle two miles away from the airport. You have to, with young children, traverse those two miles. And then, you know, once you get there, you find that your flight, you're not going to be able to make the flight anyways because of these protests. Would you have a right to be upset? Or because this is an immigration protest, do you have to just simply say, well, no, I, I guess the greater good is so I missed my flight, so I'm inconvenienced, big deal. 414-799-1620 is the number we discuss next. It's 842, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. 844, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. So Sage Steele, who's one of the ESPN anchors, um, she's flying out of LAX, Los Angeles, over the weekend to go to Houston to cover the Super Bowl. Apparently, they because there were so many protesters that were there, the, the, the airport was essentially shut down to ground traffic. So she and all sorts of other people had to get out of their vehicles, drag their luggage about two miles, and then they all ended up missing their flights anyways. So she goes on Instagram with a picture of all the protesters and says, so this is why thousands of us dragged luggage nearly two miles to get to LAX but still missed our flights. Fortunately, a seven-hour wait for the next flight to Houston won't affect me that much, but my heart sank for the elderly and parents with small children who did their best to walk all that way but had no chance of making their flights. I love witnessing people exercise their right to protest, but it saddened me to see the joy on their faces knowing that they were successful in disrupting so many people's travel plans. Yes, immigrants were affected by this as well. As you might expect, she's getting a ton of criticism. Insensitive sports, you know, talking head. Well, I don't know. Does she? Is this really that insensitive? Does she have a right to be upset that she was inconvenienced in this fashion and that so many other people were inconvenienced. Let's talk to Shane in Milwaukee. Shane, good morning. Good morning. Well, 
I, I guess the question is, does society have the right to blame her for depicting her own problems and seeing the counter side of everything? You know, is that fair? Well, right. I mean, the, the point being, you know, if she, I mean, do you think she has a legitimate complaint, I guess? Well, she, she totally does. I, I am with you. <laughs> I'm, yeah, she right. totally does. She was there. She witnessed it. I mean, she, you know, people were getting joy out of stopping other people from doing things. So in, tr- in truth, you're only really hurting other people of your same nature and stature. Right. Well, right. Exactly. And, and like her point, I mean, I think it's, I mean, like she says, okay, I was inconvenienced. Clearly, she's a little irritated. But she said, okay, I, I'm going to be on the next flight to Houston, you know, seven hours later. That's an inconvenience. But what mm-hmm. about the senior citizens? What about yeah. the families that are traveling? And you have all these protesters that are thrilled that they have managed to disrupt their lives and upset their travel plans. Yeah, sure. I think she has every, I, see, I'm with you. I think she has every right to complain about these self-centered protesters who think that their rights trump everybody else's rights. Right. Hey, what if something would have happened bad at the protest? And then it would have been all on, oh, boy, now there's something else. Yeah, no, exactly. No, thanks. I, I mean, I'm, I'm with you. I understand. You have a right to protest. But at the same time, and, I, and I'm sure what happened is you had a lot of these protesters that were cheering when these people drag their bags two miles and show up and then find out that because of these protests, um, you know, the folks who have nothing to do with Trump's immigration policy, folks who are just trying to get on an airplane so they can take their kids to go visit their grandparents across the country, they're not able to make their flights. And you've got the protesters that are cheering all this. Well, okay, right, you, you might side with the protesters, but that doesn't mean that people who were inconvenienced don't have the right to go and voice this and don't have a legitimate beef about this. And candidly, if you're going to stage a protest... Maybe there's better ways that you can do it without trying to, I don't know, inconvenience, you know, all sorts of people who have nothing to do with this. Let's talk to Tiffany and Slinger. Tiffany, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Uh, good morning, Jeff. You know, those images from airports all around the country, it's just baffling. I mean, our airports are not secure. I mean, you've flown out. Sure. You cannot even park your car to pick up a friend from the baggage claim without them telling you to move it along. So I don't get how they're assembling around all the airports. I think um, they need to really secure them and push the demonstrations and protests further away. And, you know, let's show your airport uh, flighting, boarding pass to get through, you know, all that. But I, we really need to lock down these airports because it's a, it's a huge security threat, all the chaos that's going on. Well, you, you know, know, it is interesting that, you know, given all our concerns around airports, um, that that authorities would allow these protesters to assemble in such a way that essentially stops stops people from being able to use the airports for so many different reasons. That's... No, because, I mean, candidly, Tiffany, I don't know, but if I if I had to make an airplane and I get there in plenty of time and I suddenly have to walk two miles and because of a bunch of, you know, protesters, I'm not able to get on those planes, I'm going to be mad as you know what. Yeah, I think that's unacceptable. I mean, airports, as you know, and I know, post-9-11, things have changed dramatically. And we can't even, like I said, pick yeah. up a friend from a baggage claim and right. stay in that area for more than a minute without saying, move it along. Right, yeah, right, exactly. But I guess if you're going to protest Trump's immigration thing, thousands of people can show up. Now, thanks for the call. 414-799-1620, 800-877-1620. And if you look at the pic, again, I, 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 
I, I think what probably, obviously, besides just the fact that, you know, she ended up missing her flight, I'm sure what probably really set her off as well is the fact that you've just you've got all these people who have nothing to do with immigration policies dragging their luggage two miles and then you've got all these protesters who are thrilled that we've now shut down this airport we're going to make all these people miss their flights well how dare she how dare she take to instagram to call out the protesters well i think she did exactly the right thing let's talk to brian in chicago brian good morning you're at 620 wtmj Jeff, good morning. How are you? I I'm, wish we had a uh, thank God I'm able to hear you on the radio over here because I, lo- I love I've been listening to you for two years. So, oh, well, thank you. Um, okay, so let me tell you something. I am so sick and tired of these people. Every time they, if they're protesting, yeah, you know what? If I if, if I have to catch a flight uh, on Sunday evening to get to New York for an interview, and I don't catch my flight because they're protesting about something they technically don't have anything to do with. Yeah. I'm going to be pissed off. You're damn right I'm going to be pissed off. And and if I voice my opinion about being pissed off, then I'm a racist. And I'm this. I am so sick of this Obama crap. Well, I mean, uh, let, me, let me stop you there, Brian. I mean, it's, it's not – I mean, here here's the, here's the deal. Um, it, it's just everybody has rights, and I don't have a problem – with people going out and expressing themselves and, and conducting these protests. But when you do it in such a fashion that you are trying to create as much disruption as possible, then it becomes an issue. And in, then when you have somebody who calls out the protesters and says, hey, this is how we're going to do it, well, okay, I mean, I think she has every right to express her opinion as well. Let's talk to Rick in Sheboygan. Rick, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Hi, Charlie. Um, Jeff, Charlie is gone. Yeah. Glad to have you. Yeah, sorry. Um, in my opinion, this is the, the real issue here is political correctness. You know, the progressive left says we're going to protest against immigration, and how dare you have a different opinion or express yep. yourself. Right. That well, is, I think, the real reason Trump got elected, is because people are sick of it being told what to think. Right. It, well, right. I think there's unquestionably, it is It is this backlash. And again, I mean, folks have folks have the right to protest, but we've seen this play out, you know, Rick, in, in Milwaukee, where you've had, you know, one protest after another about this issue or that issue, and folks decide that they're going to march down the streets of Milwaukee at rush hour and end up disrupting traffic and things along those lines. That's the... You know, I mean, their rights, gee, our rights to protest supersede the rights of people to get home at rush hour traffic. And I do think that there's a backlash to that type of stuff. Absolutely, yeah. And I I agree with their right to protest. Right, I I do too, exactly. And I'm sure what partly, again, look, I'm not naive. I understand she was probably upset over the fact that she wasn't able to, that she had to miss her flight and she was inconvenienced. But at the same time, that that's not an unreasonable position, but she also said, "Hey, look, I'm I'm with these elderly folks. I'm with people with kids. We're all dragging our luggage for you know two miles, and then people are happy that we have missed our flights." So anyhow, this saga continues. To her credit, Sage Steele not backing down because she's responding to the criticism that she's getting. All right, they're calling it the Monday Night Massacre. It's big thing number two. We discuss next. Eight fifty three. Jeff Wagner, six twenty. WTMJ. <laughs> 856, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ, big thing number two. The media is calling it the Monday Night Massacre. Of course, everybody remembers the Saturday, well, 
if you're a student of history or you were alive at that time, you remember the so-called Saturday Night Massacre when Richard Nixon fired a special prosecutor, Archibald Cox, who was involved in investigating Watergate after promising that he would not do so. The attorney general and the deputy attorney general then resigned constitutional crisis what happened yesterday is nothing like that at all let us back up for a second the former attorney general of the united states eric holder and i have said this before obama's attorney general in my opinion was the most corrupt unindicted attorney general in the history of the united states uh loretta lynch who then replaced holder uh, she wasn't there long enough for me to have a strong feeling about it except this was the woman decided she thought it would be a good idea to have a private meeting with bill clinton when their planes were sitting on the tarmac at that airport remember that but anyhow she is now gone jeff sessions is a new nominee to be attorney general he's not in there yet so there's what they've done is the woman who was formerly number three at the Justice Department, she will be replaced. She would have been replaced um, after Sessions is formally approved. But, you know, she's sort of the caretaker running the Department of Justice. When Donald Trump, before he issued these executive orders, the Justice Department's Office of Legal Counsel had already issued opinion, an opinion saying that these orders are lawful with respect to form and legality. So the Justice Department has already said that you have the authority to do this. Right? Because she has political views, the acting attorney general comes out and says, well, I don't care what the Justice Department's Office of Legal Counsel has already said. I am the acting attorney general, and I am not going to comply with these various orders. I'm not going to follow them. I'm not going to defend any or all of them. At which point in time, Donald Trump says, oh, now, now, candidly, if this woman was ethical, the response would have been not to refuse to follow the orders, but it would have been to resign. If she in good conscience felt that she couldn't you know, perform her duties, that she really believed these were illegal, despite the fact that you've got other opinions that say otherwise, she should have resigned. But she didn't want to do that. This wanted to, She wanted to make her own political statement, so Trump ended up firing her. This has no correlation or connection at all. This is not the same at all as the Saturday Night Massacre was. And you know what? I've been critical of Donald Trump when it is appropriate, but in this particular case, he was absolutely correct in firing her. If she decides she can't follow an order that already her own Justice Department has said is legal, well, then she should have stepped down. But to simply refuse to do that tells me that she was trying to make a political statement. She succeeded in doing it. That's great. She also, though, deserves to be fired. Now, of course, um, because she's the only, was the only one that had these authority to sign certain types of warrants, now that means it's even more important to get Jeff Sessions confirmed. But... This was not a Saturday night massacre. This was not a Monday night massacre. This was a rogue lawyer in the United States Department of Justice refusing to do her job. And so she ended up getting fired. Big thing number three coming up. It's 859. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Wagner, 620 WTMJ. We're right in the middle of three big things. Story number three. 
if you will recall, to his credit, when Bill Clinton left office after eight years in office, and you will remember that there was, when, when George Bush took over, that was several months of court fighting and the, the Bush-Gore thing and the hanging chads out of Florida. But to his credit, when Bill Clinton left office, Bill Clinton, despite being a relatively young man, you did not hear Clinton being involved in policy. You didn't hear Clinton coming out. And I'm sure he had some very, very strong feelings about, you know, the agenda that the Bush administration had. But you, you had you had Bill Clinton that said, OK, I'm going to work on the Clinton Foundation. I'm going to do these other things or whatever. Bill Clinton performed the role that most presidents do, which is essentially to be seen occasionally to go on and to do good works, but not to continue to engage in day-to-day political activity. It is, at least I think Clinton viewed it as being unseemly and inappropriate. And so, you know, you've had your time in the sun. George Bush goes on to do that. When George Bush left office in 2008, I think you can say that he did the same thing. Uh, Barack Obama gave him a lot of credit for helping with the transition. And essentially, you have not heard from George Bush over the last eight years. I mean, he's just, from a policy perspective, you didn't hear him going around the country talking about, oh, uh, Obamacare. You didn't hear him going around the country talking about uh, Barack Obama's use of executive orders. You, you just, he, he occupied the role that historically, with perhaps the exception of Jimmy Carter, historically presidents have followed, which is essentially, again, to, to, to stay out of the limelight. Well, then you have Barack Obama. Now, right before he left office, there were some statements. He said, well, I don't intend to be involved, but, you know, if, if stuff happens, I reserve the right to comment. It took all of 10 days. And again, I've got a link to this story at WTMJ.com, the Wagner's Three Big Things. But yesterday, all right, Barack Obama puts out a statement through his spokesperson, President, and talking about the the executive order and the protests. President Obama, this is what the statement says, is heartened by the level of engagement taking place in communities around the country. In his final official speech as president, he spoke about the important role of citizens and how all Americans have a responsibility to be the guardians of our democracy, not just during during an election, but every day. Citizens exercising their constitutional right to assemble, organize, and have their voices heard by their elected officials is exactly what we expect to see when American values are at stake which is, of course, a dig at Trump. With regard to comparisons to President Obama's foreign policy decisions, as we heard before, the president fundamentally disagrees with the notion of discriminating against individuals because of their faith or their religion. So this is Obama coming out. He's been gone 10 days, issuing a statement essentially supporting the protesters and criticizing Donald Trump for his immigration order. 414-799-1620, 800-877-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage toll-free talk line. Is Obama right to interject himself into the current political debate? Or is this a matter where, after eight years in office, he should just figure out what he is going to do next, but not worry about criticizing Trump for whatever Trump does? Or is this the role now that presidents should um, face? You've served, your ex-president should face, you, you've done your eight years, fine, 
go ahead, just continue to wade into the fray. 414-799-1620, 800-877-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage toll-free talk line. You may disagree with me, and I understand I've got issues with... Particularly, I'm, by the way, I'm in complete agreement with Mike Gallagher, who's the new Republican congressman from the Green Bay area, and Mike is going to be a rising star. You know, Mike is out saying, look, I I support this policy, but the rollout was awful. I mean, it should have been done in consultation with Congress. We should have made it clear, you know, was this affecting green card holders, all those types of things. So, I mean, I, I agree that there is a lot to criticize, particularly with the way this thing was rolled out over the weekend. But, but, my question is, should Barack Obama, the ex-president, the former president, who's been gone for 10 days, should be he be interjecting himself into the events of the day. 414-799-1620, 800-877-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage toll-free talk line. And, and again, uh, agree with this policy of Trump or disagree with it. This is almost unprecedented to have an ex-president, a former president, injecting himself into political actions 10 days, 10 days after he leaves office. I mean, he's not in the White House anymore. Let's start with Bill and Mequon. Bill, good morning. You're on 620 WTMJ. Morning. So here's what I think with this. And, you know, I'm a person who, in principle, agrees with what Obama's saying here. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I, I, I'm a lefty guy. I'm no... That's okay. No well, exact, uh, Bill, but, welcome to the show. I'm glad to have lefties as well as righties and as well as people in the middle. So welcome. Well, thank you. You know, I, I think it's important that we all listen to, you know, different people, you know. But the, the thing is, if you look, look at what happened to the left and the Democratic Party under the last eight years, the only Democrat that did well in the last eight years was Barack Obama. Right. Right. And in my opinion, he did not Im- successfully implement much in the way of progressive policy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he, he got Obamacare through and then basically six years of nothing. Right. Um, and, and you're yeah. right. I mean, his personal popularity aside, he was good at getting himself elected. But, yeah, you're right. I mean, you look at, at Democrats on the, the local level, on the state level, and the Congress and Congress and the Senate. It was a debacle. I mean, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of seats lost. You're exactly right. Yeah. And so my, my point is, let, let's assume for a moment that we want left-wing progressive policies to be, um, to be what, we, yeah. what is enacted. Maybe Barack Obama needs to step aside and realize, look, what I'm doing isn't working. Right. Because all it's doing is getting me elected, and that's not a thing that we need to worry about right. anymore. Or, or alternatively, I, I, I don't need to be the spokesperson of the anti-Trump movement. Let, let's, let's let the next generation of leaders emerge, and if people want to take up you know, the, the crucible and start out there, let, let them do it. You don't need me to do it. Plus, the bigger point, Bill, is I, I just I got to tell you, conservative, liberal, I, I, Republican or Democrat, I just think it's unseemly for a former president, especially right down the heels of leaving office, to inject themselves into political decisions made by their predecessor. And I and I would have said that same thing if Bill Clinton had done it or if George Bush had done it, but they didn't. Yeah, I, I agree. I think it you know it just looks. You know, even though, in my opinion, Trump is pushing a lot of very dangerous things forward very quickly, and that's a whole separate debate right. whether you like those things or not. 
it does not look good for the ex-president to be getting involved in this. You know, right. we've got, you know, people like Bernie Sanders and other people Elizabeth in the Democratic Elizabeth Warren, Party Lord, Chuck Schumer, Lord, you know, thanks to God. No, Lord knows that there's enough people out there who could voice that. And that's, again, I, it's not trying to stifle opposition. But the truth is, as a former president, you have a special sort of microphone that other people don't have. And that's why most former presidents ha- have had the class to recognize that, okay, this is, I have had my day in the sun, and now it's somebody else's uh, time. Uh, let's take a quick break. We continue the conversation next. If you're on the line, please hold on. Okay, w- was Obama out of line to encourage the protests to Trump's immigration policy and to criticize Trump? He's only been out of office 10 days. 916, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Again, I raise this topic regardless of whether you agree with how Trump rolled out his policies or how the president you know, developed the policies. Is it Obama's place to criticize? 916, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. 919, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ, with the exception of Jimmy Carter. And even Carter waited a long time before he started doing this. Former presidents do not inject themselves into into current political debates. Bill Clinton didn't do it, to his credit. Neither one, neither the first President Bush or the second President Bush did it. Um, Barack Obama, out of office 10 days, and he can't help himself. He issues this statement applauding all the protests to the Trump immigration order and criticizing the Trump immigration order as being contrary to American values. He's only been gone 10 days. And again, regardless of whether you agree with the immigration order or not, is Obama out of place in doing what he's doing? Carol in Burlington. Carol, good morning. You're on 620 WTMJ. Yes, good morning. I, I do believe what you're talking about is that he is out of place um, um, and, and that he's not even letting Trump get his feet wet uh, even for mm-hmm. you know a, a couple days in office. And that there's an old saying, you can't argue with class. And it's so unclassy what, yeah. he's, what he's doing is that's why there's so much discourse, you know, and even t- today's topic is because if something doesn't seem right. I mean, I would feel that same way if Eisenhower did it. You know, not right. that the is the same, but it, but Eisenhower or something, it just is in it in it, it um the same, you know, and and he didn't have to clap at everything Trump said at the inauguration, but there were times when they just didn't right. didn't clap and so forth. So I think that it's very very rude and it's also the fact that he and he may be on somebody's payroll to act like this. We don't well, know. Yeah, I, I kind of doubt, but it but you know, it's sort of like Carol if I mean, I don't know if you ever had a situation where you, you've worked at a job for a long time, you 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 leave the job for for whatever reason, and then a week later you're you're telling everybody that'll listen how whoever's doing your job now just sucks, you know. And it's you, right, you, you right. anybody with any class doesn't do that. It's right. just kind of like now. Th- see, and that again, that's that's what bothers me about it. Not it's just. That's why, okay, Bill Clinton, again, you know, he goes off, he does his foundation stuff, and I'm sure he had very, very strong feelings, like I say, about a couple of things that went on in the beginning stages of the Bush administration, especially when they were unraveling some of the Clinton things. But Obama is so very concerned about his legacy. He's so very concerned about, okay, what's going to happen to all these executive orders that he put in place that you know it is frustrating him that, that these things are being unraveled. And I understand his frustration, but for goodness sakes, Mr. Former President, you're not in office anymore. Sue in South Milwaukee. Sue, good morning. You're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Um, I agree wholeheartedly. He should have kept his mouth shut. I think uh, President Bush must have been awfully upset with a lot of the things Obama did, but he did not say anything. Right. He stayed out of the fray. Um, I don't believe that Obama has any right right now because 
part of the problem is that part of this immigration bill or part of this immigration uh, proclamation is from the work that his yep. administration did. Right. To the extent there is a mess, you can make an argument that, that his administration has created that mess or at least contributed to the mess. Right. And so why he is criticizing it now when literally they were the writers of this particular right. executive order, it may have been tweaked by Trump, but... Well, I guess what's going to be frustrating the idea was that it was it was the Obama administration's yeah. idea to begin with. Well, well, I guess what's going to be frustrating to me, Sue, is this is this now going to be is this the new normal that it's it's only been ten days? Okay, so is this going to be every time? And I mean, Trump has made no secret he is doing what he said he was going to do during the election. Agree with it or disagree with it, he he's doing the stuff that he talked about doing. So is this now going to be sort of the shadow government where you know the former president who can't be president again? He's going to be the guy that's putting out statements every two days, disagreeing with that. When Trump announces his appointment to the Supreme Court tonight, it, it, are we going to see Barack Obama saying, well, I would have never appointed you know, whoever he's going to be appointed? At some point in time, don't former presidents just need to fade away? I think they do, yeah. but unfortunately, yeah. they don't right. always he, do that. Right. No, no th- thanks for the call. Now, I understand some people might argue, oh, you know, he, he, he has the right – He's an American citizen. He has the right to, you know, say what he wants. Well, okay, this is a classic example of just because you have the right to do something doesn't mean it's the right thing to do. As a former president, you occupy a special position, and that is why historically, historically, former presidents have recognized that they have had their time in the sun and that they are not the leader of the political, of the loyal opposition, and that when they, as the former president, decide that they want to criticize things, it carries a special weight, and it makes it more difficult for their predecessor to succeed. And I have to tell you, I have no doubt that Barack Obama would not have liked it if in the first year of his office, George Bush was putting out statements every 10 days criticizing whatever initiative Obama had. But Bush didn't do it because he had he had some class. Let's talk to Ashley in Milwaukee. Ashley, you're on 620 WTMJ. Um, My personal opinion is that he's totally wrong and that it's all just um, a big ego thing for him. Mm -hmm. Because compared to past presidents, like no one's speaking out in the past like this. Why does he think he's better than the current president that America elected or than all of these other presidents who surely have things to say about what he was doing and didn't speak out about it? Well, I'm sure he's upset that he, he he's the last year or two, and, and this happens to all presidents. So I don't mean to necessarily single out Barack Obama, but they become obsessed with their legacy. Um, how Clinton was like that too. How is history going to view me? And in order to get a lot of the things that he did through, he used these executive orders. So there, there's not this lasting sort of thing. So I'm sure he's sitting there going just getting angrier and angrier as Trump, you know, <laughs> reverses one executive order after another. So I have no doubt that he's just, this This guy's destroying my legacy. I can't believe this. He's not a legitimate president, etc. But yeah, you're, you're, the bigger picture is that's not your place to say that anymore, sir. Exactly. Like, you've already, you've already had your time. You've said plenty of things in the eight years that you were president. Right. And, right. and you've, you've been heard. 
Right. It, it, exactly. And if, if people if people want to dissent, that that's fine. Um, but it, it shouldn't come from a former president. No, thanks to call. I, that's and and this is look. This is not going to be the first time. There's no doubt about it. I mean, I, I knew he was going to do this. I have to admit, I, I'm a little bit surprised that he couldn't help himself. It was only ten days. It's 9.35, Jeff Wagner, 6.20, WTMJ. The Bucks head out tomorrow to begin a three-game Western road swing. First up, the Utah Jazz. Ted Davis and Justin Garcia begin our coverage from Salt Lake City at 7.40 on Wednesday night. So be sure to check that out. Uh, Donald Trump will be announcing his nominee to fill the Scalia vacancy on the United States Supreme Court. The uh, That announcement is supposed to be made this evening. Regardless of who he chooses, it is going to be incredibly controversial. Unlike with, and see, federal judges, and I have said this before, are the closest things in this country that we have to kings and queens. Because what happens is, once you are appointed to the federal bench, you have a job for life. And you, you, can, you cannot, it doesn't matter how good you are, how bad you are, it doesn't matter how hard you work, you, you cannot... For all intents and purposes, you cannot be removed except by by an, an impeachment, by an act of Congress. So you, you've had federal judges who've been convicted of crimes who continue to collect their paycheck for a while. Now, whoever Trump nominates is going to be controversial, not not so much because of who they are or what they represent, but simply because the Democrats are spoiling for a fight. They're upset that the Republicans who controlled the U.S. Senate didn't give Merrick Garland an up or down vote for 10 months. And so it doesn't matter who it doesn't matter who they pick. It's going to be a huge battle, which does make me wonder whether or not whoever gets selected whether that person might end up not getting confirmed and whether you know we might have to move to a plan B. It's going to be interesting to see how this all plays out because unlike with other federal judges, both district court judges and appellate court judges, um, the Supreme Court is still subject to it's a filibuster. So you, you need 60 votes in order to end debate. So theoretically, you know, you're going to need – eight Democrats who are going to go along and allow the matter to come up with a vote. And it's going to be tough. Now, there's three names that are emerging as the short list. But so far, nothing's leaked as to who it is. The the insiders are saying the most likely nominee is a guy named Thomas Hardiman, who is 51. He currently sits on the Third Circuit uh, Court of Appeals, which is kind of like out of out of Pennsylvania. Interestingly, Donald Trump's sister is is on that Court of Appeals. What makes Hardiman different from a lot of people is the most people on the Supreme Court, they're from Harvard or they're from Yale. I've told this story before. Can you, you know you know, you can never you know how you can tell how you somebody went to Harvard? Well, just talk to them for two minutes. I, I swear, if it's that there, there must be something that they teach there. You could be walking down the street and you could say, "Hey, th- this place has got a good burger," and somebody will say, "Well, yes, that might be good." But when I was at Harvard, you know, we had this really good places. So I digress. He um, apparently went to Georgetown Law School and uh, would be the the first. Um, he he would be like a non Ivy League jurist, which apparently um, does does have a certain appeal. Uh, the guy is apparently really really down to earth, incredibly well liked. 
he's also um, he was unanimously confirmed. I think it was ninety five to nothing when he was nominated to the Court of Appeals. So a lot of Democrats who were in the U.S. Senate voted for him when he was up for the Court of Appeals gig. So the argument is, well, if you voted for him when he was on the Court of Appeals and he hasn't done anything to suggest that he's unsuitable, you know, how can you not elevate him to the Supreme Court? So anyhow, that's the guy that's emerging on the short list. There are two other judges that are being, uh, their names are being thrown around as well. But uh, Hardiman is the one who seems to be emerging. One of the big questions that people ask is, um, you know, what about what about Diane Sykes, former Milwaukee County Circuit Judge, former Wisconsin State Supreme Court Justice, and she's been on the United States Court of Appeals for the Seventh Circuit for a number of years. Um, Diane just is is a great person who I've known for a long time, and she's a great judge. She would make an outstanding nominee to the United States Supreme Court. The biggest thing, in my opinion, that she has working against her, and I've said this before, and now some other legal commentators are starting to mention it, um, she's she's 58 years old. Now, that is, that is young. <laughs> that is young. 58 is the new 38. But when presidents make appointments... Uh, the Supreme Court appointments are, of course, lifetime appointments. And because presidents are obsessed with their legacy, they they want people that they think are going to serve for several decades. That's why, typically, if you're looking for appointments to courts, uh, presidents are looking, generally speaking, for people in their 40s or, or their very early 50s with the idea, and believe me, you know, who knows what curves life is going to throw you and just because you're 51 years old and good health doesn't mean that something's not going to happen seven or eight years down the road but uh you, you do look at like mortality tables and stuff and the, the people that he's been looking at the three men on the short list one is 49 this judge hardeman is 51 and one other judge that they're looking at is 54 so i think diane sykes would be an outstanding outstanding candidate and honestly if there's another vacancy in a year or two um if she doesn't get this one or if whoever Trump nominates gets shot down and you need to come up with a plan B, I think she would be an outstanding choice. But the biggest thing I think holding her back is we don't think of 58 as being old, but for presidents, it, it perhaps is. So in any event, that nominee is going to, that nomination is going to be announced tonight. We'll be talking about it extensively tomorrow. All right. The Boy Scouts create controversy. And then try to make the controversy go away. We discuss next. It's 942. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Nine forty four, Jeff Wagner, six twenty WTMJ. So glad to have you with us. All right. I, I if you are a regular listener of this program or a new listener of the program, you need to know I'm a huge fan of the Boy Scouts. I um I, I've I've helped them raise money over the years. Actually what got me involved with the Scouts, I was a my dad was an Eagle Scout. I was in scouting as I was a kid, never kind of got that as far as, as the Eagle Scout rank. But years and years ago when there was the dispute and United Ways, various United Ways across the country, not around here, but across the country, started defunding Boy Scouts as a result of their policy with regard to gay scoutmasters. I, I, it bothered me because regardless of how you feel about the policy, the, the money, for example, that was coming from United Way was helping disadvantaged kids get involved in scouting. And I just thought it was, I, I thought 
that was wrong to use that to try to you know force political change. So, anyways, I, I got involved. And I'm I've still stayed involved um, every year. And this is coming up at the end of February. I mean, every year I go out, I emcee this big dinner at the Country Springs Hotel where um, out in Waukesha they recognize all the young men who've received their Eagle Scouts over the years and all the adult volunteers. And I, I have to tell you, if the, the word I always use is, is life-affirming, or the two words I always use is life-affirming to describe it because – if you do what I do for a living, a lot of times you end up talking about all the bad stuff that goes on, and then you go to this room and you see all these you know, young men and their parents, and you look at all the accomplishments they've made, and it really does help restore your faith. Uh, it, it, just, it just does. So I, I, I love that. So I'm, I'm, I know a lot of people in scouting. I know a lot of people who care very, very deeply. All right. Ever since Boy Scouting originated, the, the way membership was determined was by the gender that was listed on the birth certificate. Okay, so that's how it's it's always been. Um, also, I mean, that's the way it's been in fairness with schools and youth sports and youth organizations, that ultimately the gender of a child is determined by the information on an individual's birth certificate. Well, what happened a couple months ago was out in New York, you had a child who was biologically female, but who identifies as a male and has been allowed to identify as a male by their, their parents since about the age of five. Now, obviously, this is it's too young to start hormone therapy and those type of things, but it's biologically a girl, but the child identifies as, as a boy and, you know, is treated as a boy at school. Now, I don't even ask me how they, they handle the bathrooms and things like that. But anyhow, the child signs up for Cub Scouts. And a couple of the Cub Scout parents complain that the child is not a boy, that biologically the child is a girl, as evidenced by the birth certificate. Well, the mom of the child goes nuts and says, hey, th- this is you know, th- this is awful, this is discrimination, this is terrible. You know, my child is, is brokenhearted. My child identifies as a boy. What's the big deal? Well, this created a bunch of controversy, and yesterday, Boy Scouts came out with th- this statement. They-, they said that after weeks of significant conversations at all levels of our organization, we realize that referring to birth certificates as the reference point is no longer sufficient. Communities and state laws are now interpreting gender identity differently, and these new laws vary widely from state to state. Um, The organization, therefore, says that it is going to not look to birth certificates, but rather will look to the gender that the child and the child's parents put on the application. Um, They say the organization will continue to find units that are the best fit. Um, I hope you'll join with me in embracing the opportunity to bring scouting to more females and children. Okay, 414-799-1620, That is the Acunet Mortgage Toll-Free Talk Line. So Boy Scouts are essentially now saying for Boy Scouts, um, Explorers has always, this hasn't really been the issue because it's Explorers, that, that's open to, to males and females. But on the Cub Scout level and on the Boy Scout level, it, it now is not going to matter what the biological gender of the child is. In this case, if the child 
says I identify as a boy, if the application says I'm a boy, even if it's biologically a girl, they will be admitted to Boy Scouts. How big a deal is this? Are Scouts making the right decision or the wrong decision? And if you had a child in Scouting, would you would you be disturbed if you're going to have now the, the transgender child who's also going to be a member of the Cub Pack or the, um, the, the Scout Troop? Or is this really much into about nothing and just uh, an appropriate reflection of where we are in 2017? 414-799-1620, 800-877-1620. And if you went through scouting, you're a scout leader, how do you feel about this policy? How is this going to play out on on the local levels? We discuss next. It's 950, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ, 414-799-1620 is the number. 953, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. All right, after the, the flap a few weeks ago involving a transgender child, born female, identifies as a male from the age of five, the child joins a Cub Scout pack, parents complain, the child is tossed out of the Cub Scout pack, the mom goes public with this, Boy Scouts have now announced that they have changed their policy, and rather than deciding whether a child is a boy or a girl, Rather than looking at the birth certificate, which is what they've always done, now they will just look at the application. So if a child who is biologically female lists male on the application, they will consider that. 414-799-1620. Let's start with John in Kenosha. John, good morning. Good morning. How are you doing today? Well, thank I'm well, thank you. What do you think? Are the scouts doing the right thing by being inclusive, I guess? would be. I'll use that word. Well, let me, let me tell you. My, myself, both my brothers are all Eagle Scouts. Um, scouting was great. It was the foundation for anything that you, when you become mm-hmm. an adult. Um, I'm about ready to sign my middle grandson up. And with this being said, I'm questioning whether I'm good or not. This child that they're talking about is way too young to even know what gender is. This is the parents pushing their ideals on this child. Mm-hmm. And as far as the birth certificate, I do understand against by better beliefs that things are changing and that's something we have to accept but as far as even using bathrooms and schools and all this well let, let's stay let's stay on scouts for a second okay let, let, let me no, ask you okay, that even, even with scouts no okay, no but no let, let me ask you this let me ask you they have right okay no you let me just, here's here, here's my question you you went through scouts you know and and your family's gone through scouts what what dear and i asked this honestly what difference does it make what why do you care if somebody else's eight-year-old kid who the parents allow to identify as a boy, why do you care if that child is in the Cub Scout pack with the rest of the Cub Scouts? Well, I'll tell you what. Mm-hmm. We went camping out at Dakota, Robert S. Lyle, all over the place. So the camping thing, the, the, the different genders. Yeah, camping okay. is huge in Boy Scouts. Okay. That's a huge issue. Okay, no, thanks. No, and that, that's, that's why I... That, that's why I, I, I ask that, that question, because it's what, what would what is the objection? Uh, what would be the objection? And I think camping does pose a legitimate sort of issue. I do think there are logistical issues with this because, I mean, look, I was in Boy Scouts and you had a couple of of the dads that, that got together and they went on the camping trips and they were the supervisors as well as the scoutmasters and stuff. Obviously, if you've got a transgender child, that that changes the dynamic a bit. You're going to have to have, 
I would assume you're going to have to have women that are going along on those camping trips and things like that as well just to deal with the issues because biologically boys and girls are different. 414-799-1620. Rob in Brookfield. Rob, good morning. You're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. How are you? I am well, thank you. What do you think about all this? Uh, I am a scoutmaster, and I really uh, appreciate the scouting program. Mm-hmm. I support it. I, uh, I'm a little disappointed, I guess, to see how it's fundamentally changing in its ideals in the last couple of years. Right. Um, when the issue came up about boys that were homosexual participating in Boy Scouts, and where the leader is going to be allowed, and so on and so forth. You know, I, I, I believe that it should be open to all the boys that want to be in the program and, mm-hmm. and learn from it. My, my issue is uh, the scout executive at that time coming out and saying, well, you know, we know that we're fighting this battle, and we know we're going to lose in the end, and we, uh, we're just going to have to deal with things as they are instead of the way that they should be. Mm-hmm. And to me, I was just so disappointed by that as a leader, the leader of the scouting organization, because I always looked at it as an organization that stood for principles and ideals. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a scout is moral okay. and honest and upright and all the things that are included in the law. Well, well let me uh, ask you the practical question I asked our last caller, though. Um, why... Why does this why, why does this matter to scout leaders, or why should it matter to other scouts? If you have a child whose parents say, "Look, we we believe that the child is tr- truly transgender, identifies in this case as a boy, not a girl," what difference does it make then to you as the scout leader, or to the other members of the pack, or the other members of the troop? I feel it does or will fundamentally change the way that the program has to be run. Mm-hmm. I'm concerned as the leader going on these campouts, you know, mm-hmm. now um, you know, we're going to have to be a little bit more aware of what's going on. Um, well, you're, you're definitely going to have to have female. I mean, I, I do think that's true. I mean, you're going to have to have you're going to have to have females along. I mean, if you've got, even if the child identifies as a boy, but they've got girl body parts and stuff like that and have those issues that, that come up, you're, you're definitely going to, I think, have to have women along on the camping trips as well. It would seem to me if you've got, now that's not necessarily a reason not to do it, but but I, I'm probably right in that regard, right? If, if you had a child that you knew was biologically a female, it wouldn't be an all-male camping trip, right? You'd have to have some supervisors who were female, right? Right. I would think so. You would have to. You have to have separate, and you already do have to have separate showering accommodations and right. schedules and so forth like that. So right. I don't know that that's a real problem, but again, I I feel like it's um, this is a program program that was originally organized for boys. Right. No, it, 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 it thank, I mean it's definitely it is definitely a change. I guess I look at this big picture. I don't. I. I, I'm, I'm having trouble assessing what, how big a deal it is because I've got to believe that this is this is not an issue that is going to come up very often. I mean, maybe, maybe I will be proven wrong. Maybe over the next six months there's going to be this huge influx of uh, transgender children wanting to be in the Boy Scouts. I, I think this is going to be more just a, of the occasional sort of thing. But I do think it's going to provide it challenges for for scoutmasters and for cup pack leaders. 
Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. We do this segment, start at the 10 o'clock hour every day. I call it Dealer's Choice. It's a conversation that I, I think one of the topics that I, strikes me as perhaps being one of the most talkable ones of the day. Today is a local issue. Um, Milwaukee County is in many respects a, a sales tax island. Um, in Milwaukee County, and this is very frustrating, if the story in yesterday's paper where you, you look at, at the backdrop payments that continue to be made to county employees, and as I've always said, I don't fault the county employees. If the Scripps family walks in tomorrow and gives me $1.3 million in a box, I'm going to say thank you and, and take it. So it's th- these county employees who continue to retire. Um, they receive, what was the story yesterday? A guy I know in the DA's office who retired got a $1.34 million payoff and collects almost eighty grand a year in pensions. I mean, there's, there's something fundamentally wrong with that. And it goes back to how mismanaged Milwaukee County has been for years and years and, and years. And this whole pension scandal isn't going to go away anytime soon because – you're going to have, over the next five or ten years, you're going to have a lot of very high-paid employees who are going to be retiring, and they're going to be retiring with these enormous payouts. On top of that, you've got a Milwaukee County board, which should have been, frankly, dissolved, in my opinion, but who's looking for new ways to spend our money. This is a county board that thinks it's a good idea to tear up lanes of traffic between downtown and the medical college so you can have a bus that runs a few minutes faster. I mean, seriously, it makes it more difficult for cars, but the bus is going to run. Um, because we can't afford to repair the roads around here and to pay for public transportation, you have the Milwaukee County Board, which has just approved, with the blessing of the county executive, who wanted even more dough, a $30 wheel tax. So if you live in Milwaukee County for the privilege of keeping your car registered in Milwaukee County, In addition to having to pay the state registration fee, you will have to pay $30 to Milwaukee County as a wheel tax. And, of course, if you live in the city of Milwaukee, it's an extra $25 on top of that. So it's a double hit if you live in the city of Milwaukee and also live in Milwaukee County. So you've got all that stuff going on, and still the politicians and the powers that be say, we we still don't have enough money. Not to mention the fact that you've got the five-county sales tax on Miller Park, which may sunset in the next year or two, you know, maybe. But, you know, that's been going on as well. And I understand because I was here, and we talked about it on the radio constantly about that whole regional sales tax. And I know that there are some people, particularly folks down in Racine, who still resent having to pay the um, 0.5% sales tax to help fund Miller Park. All right. Well, during our news, uh, you heard the report that Tim Sheehy was a very, very good guy, and he's the uh, head of the Milwaukee Metropolitan Association of Commerce, um, is coming out and saying, we need more money, and we need to have more dough in order to, well, help support arts and cultural institutions and parks. And so the proposal that is being floated would be a Milwaukee County only. I think they recognized originally the idea was let's try to do this regionally and I think they recognized early on that if you want to talk about something that is a complete and total political non-starter expecting people in Washington County and Racine County and Ozaki County and Waukesha County and to pay a sales tax to help support 
well, the Milwaukee County Parks or the zoo or whatever, even though they are regional attractions, that would be a complete and total non-starter. So the, pro, pro, the proposal is now being modified. The idea is we would like to have a 0.5% Milwaukee County only sales tax with the idea that the money that's raised would then go to help support uh, Milwaukee County cultural institutions. If this were passed, obviously you'd need to have a referendum, and then you'd need to have the state legislature that would go along with it. Um, it would, at least as long as the Miller Park sales tax continues to exist, this new tax would increase sales taxes in Milwaukee County to 6.1%. 6.1%. And that is, of course, on top of, like I say, the new $30 wheel tax that the county residents have, which is on top of the $25 wheel tax that city residents who live in the county also pay. All right. 414-799-1620. 800-877-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Toll Free Talk Line. Like I say, if you try to make this a regional tax, it is clear that that's an absolute and total non-starter. So now the idea is, let's make this a Milwaukee County only tax. So, would you support it? Should it be done? 414-799-1620 is the number we discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. 1015 Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. 1017 Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. And the way I understand this, the way this would work is the state legislature would have to authorize a special sales tax, in this case not a regional tax, but for Milwaukee County, and then there would be a binding referendum on that. So how do you feel about another half percent Uh, 0.5% sales tax on top of the wheel tax, on top of everything else, and on top of the Miller Park tax, which we will continue to pay on in Milwaukee County for at least probably the next year or two. Steve in Milwaukee, you're first. Good morning. Good morning. What do you think? Uh, I think if they get rid of the uh, brewer tax, uh, that wouldn't be a bad idea. I mean, right now we're just, you know, the county's putting a $30 tax on our yep. automobiles, and, you know, they sold that land to the Milwaukee Bucks for, or just gave it to them. They could have got money out of there to take care of this. Yeah. It's just, our politicians just keep, you know, taxing Milwaukee County, Milwaukee County. Yep. I mean, I mean everything, people are just going to leave. I mean, it's. Well, I mean, that that's the, I mean, that, that's the risk you run. Now, now people would say, well, what, do, do you not like the zoo? I mean, don't you like the public museum? What about, you know, the art museum? And, of course, the, the answer is, yeah, I, I appreciate that these are these are cultural assets. And it would be horrible if, for example, the, the, the zoo, you know, wasn't able to continue to be the world-class zoo that it is. But at the same time, you, you do run this risk of Milwaukee County ending up being a tax island here. And... This notion that we can continue to try to soak the residents. I, I will tell you, the worst timing for this is is now after the fact that you've got this wheel tax that's going to be put on a, as well, which is a major, major, major tax increase. Now, I understand they say it's fees and all, but the, the reality of this is – I. If you had tried to make this a regional tax, it would have gone nowhere. So maybe, you know, the business leaders are going to be able to, again, sell this. Hey, it's only, you know, 0.5%. You're not even going to notice it. But I think at some point in time, people are just going to stand up and say, well, wait, we, we do notice it. If 
if you did this, at the point you're talking about, Steve, if you did this in conjunction with the Miller Park sales tax sunsetting, you might have, I think, more of a political chance to get it through because, but of course, that then plays into the argument that we've always heard, is that once you have the, these taxes, they never go away. And that's, you know, once you have fees, once you have taxes. Now, I understand the people pushing this say, well, don't worry, it's going to have a definitive sunset date on it. But, all right, if if you just roll over the Miller Park sales tax and essentially say, okay, now we're going to now we're going to call this a cultural assets tax and we're going to have this one run for five years. The the argument is clearly, I think, that, okay, five years from now, what's it going to be next? The timing on asking a tax increase like this could not be worse. And thank the Milwaukee County Board and the county executive because of the wheel tax. If you're trying to sell this before the wheel, it would have been tough without the wheel tax. I think it might politically be impossible with the wheel tax. Freddie in Milwaukee. Freddie, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Talking to Freddie? Yes. Hey, no, I say absolutely not. I mean, you know, like you just said, we got the wheel tax for the county we got the wheel tax for the city yep and and you know there's these people from all the adjacent counties they're coming in here like your buddy charlie sykes used to say they're freeloaders <laughs> they're coming to the trough over here to slop it up well well i mean at the same time though when you if, if you go to the zoo and you're not not a county resident you pay a little bit more if you go you know i mean we, we do you do if you go to the museum there's days you can go for free if you live you know in the county for example but but your point would be you think that you think that if they're gonna if it's gonna be a people are gonna have to pay for it, you think it should be across the region, huh? Absolutely, because listen, most of those people that live in the adjacent communities around here, they most a majority of them come to work here in this city too. And they're and we're paying for their for their wheel tax over here out of our pocket. Right. As a practical matter, though, Freddie, the reality is, can you imagine anybody in Ozaki County or Washington County or Waukesha County voting to voluntarily increase their sales tax a half a percent so the money can go to the Milwaukee County Zoo or the Marcus Center? Well, no, that's why the people that live in Milwaukee County, they should they should have to voice this, too, and say absolutely no. Right. Well, that's thanks for coming. That's, that, that is going to be one of the difficulties. With, I have to tell you. I think right now this is a political non-starter. Now, will will the legislature go along with allowing a binding referendum? Probably. I, I mean, I, I because again, it's it's going to be self-determination. It reminds me back when uh, my friend, former Governor Thompson, was around campaigning for Miller Park and the regional sales tax, and he's up north, and he has that infamous moment where he stands up and says. Stick it to Milwaukee. What do you care? <laughs> what 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 do you care? You know, what, for if your legislators are voting for this, knowing that it's going to be funded by a tax that people in the five county region, um, I think of, if there's different moments that Tommy Thompson wish he had back that that one where he said, "Stick it to Milwaukee." I mean, you're they're the ones that are going to be paying the tax. Um, that same argument might prevail. My guess is members of the Milwaukee County business community will be going out to the state legislature, including legislators from Waukesha County and um, and Racine County, and, and making the same argument. What do you care? Stick it to Milwaukee. If they want to vote for it, let them vote for it. Um, whether or not you can actually sell it, though, at a binding referendum after the wheel tax, that's going to be where the real problem is. Um, this This will be a huge, huge battle. 
And as long as you got the wheel tax that's just been imposed, I think it might be too much of an uphill climb. But the business community is going to be out there saying, we absolutely need this to save the zoo and to save the public museum. I don't know. 1024, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Ten twenty six, Jeff Wagner, six twenty, WTMJ. NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell says the quality of Thursday night games is better than the rest of the week. Is he watching the same games we are? Greg Matzik opens the discussion tonight on Sports Central at seven oh seven. I have a larger question. I know we have drug testing for the players. Do they have drug testing for the front office people, including the commissioner? Because I have to tell you. As somebody who watches these Thursday night games, my big question to the NFL commissioner, if he seriously says that the quality of those games is better than the rest of the week, it would be, what kind of drugs are you on and where can I get them? (laughs) Because you are in a different world there, Mr. Goodell. So, I mean, what 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 is this? Who is the doctor feel good that's given you that stuff? But uh, Greg might have a different take on that. So tune in tonight at 7.07. Every once in a while, there's these stories, and they just don't sound right to me. And, and I, I, I do not know, so I, I, I don't, I, I don't want to be definitive here. But okay, Beloit College. There's this story that, that's out about hate crimes at Beloit College. Um, here, here's the way that the story reads: an anti-Muslim threat and an offensive symbol were spray-painted inside a Beloit College dormitory Monday, three days after an anti-Semitic note was slipped under a student's door in another dorm. The college condemned the incidents, calling them hate crimes, and staged a private gathering of students and staff Monday to take a first step towards harnessing some of the collective strength. Uh, Beloit Police Department investigating, apparently, the anti-Muslim message was spray-painted on a Muslim student's door with the symbol painted on a nearby wall while the anti-Semitic note was found in a Jewish student's room. All right, and then, of course, the story goes on to say this incident occurred, of course, during the weekend when an order by Donald Trump barred entry to the U.S. Citizen, to US, to the US by citizens of seven majority Muslim nations. Okay, if, if this happened... And is what it says. It is clearly a hate crime, and it it's, needs to be investigated. There's just certain aspects of this story, though, that uh, just don't necessarily strike me as being right. And I, I'm, and I'm, I'm just, I'm. This is one that I'm kind of following because we have seen this before, where you have these reports of these horrific things, and this would be a horrific thing. And then it turns out that maybe there's there was something else, you know, going on. So this is this is just one that if if it's if it is as it appears, and there's somebody out there that's spreading the stuff and committing these hate crimes, they of course need to be identified and prosecuted. It's just one. This is a story to watch because, like I say, there's just aspects of this story that. Make me me question, not question the reporting, not question that something like this happened, but whether or not there's more to this story. So that's the one out of Beloit College. All right. Speaking of more to the story, charges filed against a 26 year old Milwaukee woman for providing heroin to somebody who subsequently died. Got a very, very provocative question to ask about that story.
It's 1034. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. President Trump's executive order on immigration is now in the courts. How will the policy affect local immigrants from one of the countries on the list? Hear that story during Wisconsin's afternoon news, um, 351 today. All right. I want to share with you this story as it was reported in the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel and then ask a, a provocative, what I think is a provocative question about this. Now, by way of background, I spent years and years chasing drug dealers, you know, as a federal prosecutor. I I think the fascination that our society has had with drugs over the years, illegal drugs, has been just absolutely incredibly destructive. If if you look at you know, people who use certain types of drugs, and I, I'm not talking about the person that goes down and smokes pot every now and then, but I'm talking about, you know, the, the use of hard drugs and, and what it does to people and what it does to families and what it does to communities. It's just, it is absolutely devastating. So that's, that's kind of the background that I bring to this. So here is the story. A 26-year-old Milwaukee woman has been charged with providing drugs to a man found dead at his home in southeast Mequon last summer, a month after he had survived an overdose. Brittany Evans is charged in Ozaki County with a single count of reckless homicide by delivery of heroin. So she's charged with homicide by reckless delivery of heroin. Here's what the criminal complaint says happened. Mequon police and emergency staff were called to an apartment on North Ivy Court about 8.30 p.m. on August 13th. Evans, that's the woman who's been charged, let them in. So presumably she's the one that called 911. Uh, She let them in where they found James C. Connors, 38, deceased in a chair. An autopsy later showed he had died of acute mixed drugs intoxication involving heroin and alcohol. So presumably she calls the police to his apartment in Mequon, He's dead of a drug overdose. On Connors, that's the man that's dead, on his cell phone, police found a series of text messages to and from Evans from earlier that day, indicating that he had promised to pay her to bring him heroin from her dealer in Milwaukee. Security video showed him using his bank's ATM in Mequon, removing $200. So he's reaching out to her, hey, I, I want to buy heroin from your source, and there's text messages to that effect. A friend of the dead man told police that the dead guy had mentioned just days before his death that he had used a pair of prostitutes he found online to get him drugs and that he did not hire them for sex. Evans, that's the woman who's been charged, her younger sister was in the apartment when police arrived. They found her in the bathroom smoking after hearing the toilet flush. She denied having flushed any evidence down the toilet. Yeah, right. All right. Investigators later traced the same phone numbers from the dead man's texts to an online prostitution ad for someone using a different name that it appeared to be Evans. Later during the meeting, um, it, it turns out that it is her phone. After her arrest, Evans told police that she was a heroin user as well, that on August 13th she had taken a cab to Mequon and driven with Connors to get money from his ATM, dropped him home before driving his car to Milwaukee with money he had given her to buy heroin before returning to his apartment. So here's what you have, the way it looks to me. 
You have a guy who is a drug user himself. He is trying to score drugs. So he hooks up with this woman who is a drug user. And the woman's got a contact. So the two of them, the guy who ends up dead and the woman, okay, he essentially says, Here, here's some money. You go to your contact. You, you bring the drugs back to me. And presumably, my, my guess is that she got some of the drugs out of that. You know, she wasn't the drug dealer per se. Um, she was just a drug user herself in many respects. And my guess is, like I said, she's getting some dope out of this deal. So they come at his request. She's purchased the heroin from him. He uses the drugs. He overdoses. He dies. Presumably she's the one or her sister's the one that calls 911. 414-799-1620. 800-877-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Toll-Free Talk Line. Now, this all goes back to the, the old Len Bias laws. You remember Len Bias was the former University of Maryland basketball player drafted by the, the Boston Celtics, who tragically dies bef- before he plays in the NBA from a drug overdose. And the Len Bias laws are where they say, all right, if you supplied the, the drugs to someone who then overdoses, you are responsible for the overdose. But the Len Bias laws don't just apply to the, the person that was ultimately like selling the heroin. It also applies if, hey, Bias is a drug user and his buddy is a drug user and the buddy's got the contact for that day and goes out and buys the dope and gives it to Bias, then the buddy is responsible for, for that, that murder. Not just the main dealer, but the, the drug user in between who happened to score that heroin, if you follow that. Okay, I want to open up the phone lines. Our numbers are 414-799-1620, 800-877-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage toll-free talk line. Obviously, the authorities in Ozaki County thought a lot about this particular prosecution because, again, the death happened, happened several months ago. If the facts are as alleged, and again, the state has to prove it beyond a reasonable doubt, I, I understand how it would fit the definition of, of a crime because the woman goes out, she uses her dealer to get the drugs. Okay, I, I understand that. But bigger picture, under these circumstances, where you have two people who may be drug users and, and one has the contact, and so that, with the blessing of the other person, they use that one person's contact and then something bad happens, an overdose, should that be reckless homicide on the part of the person who ended up getting the drugs that day? 414-799-1620, 800-877-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage toll-free talk line. And by, by having and applying the law in that fashion, you know, we talk a lot about opioid abuse. Does, does this discourage people from re- reporting the, the drug overdose? And, and I know this is something that as they're looking at various bills in the legislature, I mean, if, okay, if, if Hondo and I, if Hondo and I are heroin addicts, and one day, okay, we, we use a source that I have, 
we pool our money, and the next day we use a source that, that Hondo has. And, and so we're, we're not really making money out of this. We're just seeing who we know that we can score. And we use the drugs together, and, and Hondo has a drug overdose. If I'm going to, if I happen to be, I was the guy that got the heroin that day, does it create a disincentive for me to call and report the fact that, hey, there's a drug overdose because then I might get charged with homicide? I raise these questions. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. 1042, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. 1044, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Mary Jo writes, would they rather the drug dealer and fellow users just run when somebody overdoses instead of trying to help? I'm, I'm with you. Well, I just raised this issue because it, it's something that's always bothered me about the, the, the Len bias law. I understand if, if you've got the big dealer that's selling bad heroin, they should be responsible for the consequences. I understand that. But if you've got two heroin users who are scrambling to see who we can score from, and it just happens on one particular day, I'm the one that has the source, and my buddy uses it and dies. Does that make me guilty of, of homicide? 414-799-1620. Nancy in Brookfield. Nancy, good morning. You're first. Well, good morning, Jeff. Thank you so much for, for bringing this topic up. Um, I am a mother of a recovering drug addict. Um, he just celebrated two years. Oh. And as you know, we have an epidemic in this country yep. where 144 people die every day. Yep. And this this sort of, um, you know, Len Bias situation is, is coming up more and more because so many people are affected. And, you know, these drug users are desperate to get their drugs, and they do, um, you know, get it for their buddies, and then they'll end up getting some for free. So right. I agree with you 100%. That's the problem. Well, and it, I guess it, it's just the idea that, I mean, I understand if you've got the, the guy that's running the cartel and they're selling bad heroin, of course they should be prosecuted. But if you really just have a situation where a couple drug users are getting together and they're, they pool their resources and... Yeah, they're dealers in the technical sense that they're distributing it, but they're they're just they're, it's it's who can score on a particular day. And I guess my concern is, Nancy, does this give an incentive under these overdose situations for the low level drug dealer not to call nine one one, but rather to to run? And and how is, is big picture given how bad the opioid problem is? Is that really good public policy? I I think it's very bad policy. And even though we have, you know, we're lucky enough, unfortunately, to have John Nigren in our state. Right. His daughter is a, 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 right. you know, an addict. And they have passed some uh, legislation that, you know, gives immunity to people to call. But under these situations, people aren't calling. Yeah. They're running. Yeah. And, and, of course, the, to the extent that, and so that just delays medical responses. Yeah. Um, you must be very proud of your daughter, uh, Nancy. Two, you said two years sober? I am very proud of my son. Yeah, son. I'm I sorry. Mean, yeah. You know this this disease is 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 not you know a lonely disease. This is affecting families. Oh yeah. And this is a you know a suburban issue. Um, I there's so much shame in this uh, this, this situation that um, you know it's a chronic disease, and we're not going to incarcerate our way out of it. And more and more people are being charged via this one bias um, situation, and it's 
and more and more people are dying. It's just, I think they go hand in hand. Thanks for the call. I appreciate your perspective. 414-799-1620, 800-877-1620. And by the way, I'm not, I'm not criticizing the Ozaki County District Attorney's Office because under the state of the law, and at least the facts is alleged, I understand how you could put together the, these sort of charges. This, these fact situations, though, have always, always bothered me. Now, if, it, just because I, I wonder, are, are, we, are we penalizing the right people? Again, if you were going after the guy that, that really made the money and sold the heroin, I, I understand that. But if it's just the, the users that are, gonna get, that are getting together, are we dealing with the right folks? Uh, Mike in Bayview. Mike, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Oh, morning, thanks. Yeah, I really changed my mind on this. I used to be very, you know, hammered down on anybody with right. the, you know, drug use and, okay, they, they made their choice. But because I think those when bias rules were, were made at a time when this was so rare, um, that it, you know, maybe it made sense and then maybe it would, it was thought of as a deterrent. But I always, uh, uh, an attorney friend of mine equated it to me like this and said, well, if you sold somebody or gave somebody a handgun, understanding that that's a le- and it's le- a legal transaction, right? The right. person that you get to is able to have it, and you're able to have it. And they kill themselves with it. You're not going to be charged for homicide or manslaughter, you know. And, and again, knowing that those are that's a legal thing to possess in the state of Wisconsin, right? And heroin, but it did it, it changed my perspective on that, and. Um, more people are going to flee, and that yeah. guy end up being sitting in a chair for four days, and then the landlord comes in, or the right, you know, the, the or, 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 or maybe if somebody starts to overdose and they make the call, maybe and that didn't happen in this case, but maybe the emergency folks get there in time enough to save them, you know. But so, right. what happens if somebody doesn't make the call? And I thought that was the law or the rule already, and then they would come in and do the Narcan thing. But maybe it's because she took the money or something. No, I, I no, I think no. I mean, I think it's. I mean, thanks. No, it, it's it's sort of. I think it's 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 the whole reckless homicide thing, and they're they're looking at ways of exploring these type of of changes that are out there. I mean, that's one of the ideas is giving some form of, of immunity. But even under the new laws, would would that would that apply? Now, by the way, now there, there's two different things there. The under the law, um, and even under the law that they're talking about changing, that the woman could still be charged with distribution of drugs because she got drugs and and she gave them to someone else. But she's not just being charged with distribution of drugs; she's being charged with uh, again homicide by by giving them the drugs. And it just I I have I'm not soft on drug use. Believe me, I, I'm not. I'm just trying to think about whether or not this particular policy, as applied to facts like this, makes sense. Andrew in Milwaukee. Andrew, good morning. You're on 620 WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. I just wanted to comment. Um, I'm seven years recovering from heroin heroin addiction, and you know, I just want to say, and I want people to know that you know, heroin addicts are totally responsible for their own actions and anybody trying to prosecute people from getting involved is just going to it's going to push people away and people aren't going to want to help well right i mean that that's you know that that that's the effect of this and especially if you're and i don't know about this woman in this case but a lot of times they're all junkies you know so everybody's got that addiction something like this happens and if, if they know, oh, my gosh, I'm going to be going to 
jail for you know prison for five or ten years the, the effect is to try to run to try to clean up after themselves to try to hide the crime as opposed to maybe just picking up the phone and calling and, and maybe that call can make a difference right exactly and you know the addict is going to find a way to score no matter what nothing's going to stop them right it right. doesn't matter who's involved yeah, and and again, right? I mean, thanks for calling. That that's and again, that's where I differentiate the differentiate the situations where it, it's it's the group of people, it's the boyfriend and the girlfriend or the husband and the wife or the pals or whatever who you know are drug users. It's I think, and it's taken me a while to get to this position as well. But given the explosion of opioid abuse and given the nature and extent of this problem, we have to. I hate the phrase think outside the box because it's a cliche but we do have to start thinking outside the box and i still believe that there is a law enforcement solution that comes from identifying the high level dealers and going after them i just wonder whether laws like this and prosecutions like this and again not criticizing you county Izaki county da's office i i understand i understand what the law is right now these facts, as alleged, certainly meet the law, but I'm wondering whether that accomplishes what we are trying to accomplish as we try to get a handle on the, the just spiraling opioid problem. It's 1053, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Coming up, we're going to be talking about, hey, how would you like to work longer? Are the protests really as tough as people, as big as people say? And should you stay home from work when you're sick? Stick around. It's all coming up. 1054, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. 1056, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. The story gets curiouser and curiouser. A uh, week before last, we had two stories back-to-back, one each day, about people, teenagers, fleeing from police and ended up dying in car crashes. One gets even more interesting. January 20th, this is the story of what happened is there's a vehicle, a VW Passat, carjacked about 7 o'clock. An hour later, two officers see the car in the 4500 block of North Tetonia over here. Um, because it's a carjacking, now, the, the police will chase if it's a crime of violence. So um, they catch up to the car near the intersection of Hampton and Tetonia, turn on the lights to pull the car over. Instead, the car, as always happens, drives away. There's a chase down Hampton, 60 to 70 miles an hour, turns onto Green Bay Avenue. The car blows through four-way stop signs at two intersections, ends up going westbound on Capitol Drive, um, not that far from where we are right now. Uh, car... Ultimately, the cops are four or five blocks behind. The driver of the stolen car runs a red light at Capitol and 31st, crashes into another vehicle before hitting a concrete pole that tears the car in half. Now, the driver of the car that was hit, broken leg. Two people, a 15-year-old and an 18-year-old, who are in the car, they end up, they're killed instantly. And the way the story was initially reported is they thought that one of those two was responsible for this. Well, it turns out there was a third person in the car. The police have figured that out because of of one of the shoes that they find, like, left in the car. And they now believe that it was a, a 19-year-old guy who remains at large um, who was actually driving the vehicle. Uh, but Again, one of these horrible stories that's here, you've got young people who've lost their lives while fleeing from police. I don't know what the larger point to all this is other than moms and dads, 
This is one where you've got to know what your kids are doing. Because in this area, for whatever reason, you have more and more people that are stealing cars, using it to go joyriding, and using it for other criminal activities. And now that the sport has become, when the cops try to pull you over, you, you run. And you run at a high rate of speed. And that's all well and good, except it never ends well. And over the last 10 days, we've had situations where in two separate incidents, you've had three young people who've lost their life. Now you've got a fourth one who's going to be going to prison once they find him, probably for most of his natural life, and belongs in that way. But, you know, don't steal the car in the first place, and none of this stuff happens. It's 1059. Coming up next, when you're sick, should you go to work? And how long do you think you should have to work before you can retire? Stick around. 1059, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. This is our news department. This is a really interesting story about Las Vegas. Um, the, The Oakland Raiders went desperately to get out of Oakland. And they, they had a chance maybe to move back to Los Angeles. Now that chance is gone because the San Diego Chargers are there and the Rams are there. So they're in Oakland, and the word was they were going to move to Las Vegas. Um, but it was all contingent on getting the, this big, new, state-of-the-art stadium that was there, a $1.9 billion stadium. And the idea would be, okay, the, the Raiders move there. Well, a big part of the financing package was supposed to be by uh, Sheldon Adelson, who is he, he runs the Sands Corporation. He's a multi-billionaire, big player in Republican Party politics, and, and he, they were going to be the, the the family was going to be putting up, well, like a third of the investment. So we're we're talking about a, a ton of money. So they pledged six hundred fifty million dollars towards the construction of this, but apparently it, it's all broken down because the Raiders decided that they they didn't need the family's money and that they were going to go ahead and try to work out the financing with or without them. Um, so <laughs> they, they just kind of blasted ahead. Well, okay, so now the family's got their nose out of joint, and they said, well, okay, fine, we'll, we'll pull our money, and there's not enough money elsewhere to make the deal work, and so now it's looks like this is all back to square one. Um, the Oakland Raiders have always been just – always been an interesting team the way they've done stuff and i think the upshot of this is they might be stuck in oakland for a while all right everybody knows the way social security works you get a statement every year from the social security administration that says if you retire at a certain point in time this is what your expected monthly payout will be and you can start taking Social Security benefits, what, around 62, and then you reach full retirement age, depending on when you were born, sometime around 66. And then, you know, after once you hit 70, I think it doesn't make any sense to not take Social Security benefits. If you take them earlier, like if you take them when you're 62 and a half, for example, um, your payments are reduced. You, you you make more money if you wait till you hit retirement age, 66 or whatever, um, but they're reduced. So if you sit down with your financial advisor, they do these calculations. They say, okay, well, here's how long you would have to – here's how long that you would have to live 
in order to delay Social Security benefits and determine whether you come out on on top or not. Uh, You know, maybe you're getting $500 a month if you retire at 62, whereas if you waited till 66, you'd get $600 a month. So they they do all the, the math to figure out how it makes sense. The problem, of course, is that more and more people are concerned that without major changes, Social Security benefits are not going to be able to be paid out to future retirees at the rates they are currently being paid out to. Um, I think it's also everyone knows it's not like Social Security benefits aren't like your bank account or your 401k account where that's your money that's in there. It's your money. It's no one else's. Social Security payments are essentially IOUs, the money that Hondo and I have been paying into Social Security for years, that that is being used to pay for people who are currently getting Social Security. That That's the way it, it works. It's not like our money is sitting in an account somewhere. The government is saying, okay, we're taking Social Security payments from you, and we are promising at some point in time in the future that we will, we will pay you once you qualify. But, of course, that's all dependent on People younger than me, for example, you know, continuing to work, continuing to pay into Social Security, so they'll be paying the money that I'll be drawing from. As people live longer, and um, as people live longer, and more people hit retirement age, at some point in time, and it depends on who you talk to, but probably in the next 15, 16, 17 years, what's going to happen is that the the amount of money being paid out is going to exceed the amount of money being paid in. And that's unsustainable for a long period of time. So people are looking at all sorts of different options to figure out how you can solve this problem. Um, In some cases, it's increase the Social Security tax because right now, once I forget what the number is, it's it's like around 130 grand. I uh, don't check me on that, but it's around that. After that, you don't pay any more into Social Security. You don't pay a tax above 130 grand. So that's one of the ideas. Increase that. Some people are saying, well, maybe you should means test. That is, if people hit full retirement age and they've been responsible and saved money all their life and don't, quote unquote, need the money that they paid in, maybe they shouldn't get as much out. I, I have issues with that. But they're, they're looking at all sorts of ways. One of the ideas that is on the table is hiking the age for full retirement. Now, again, what happens is the earlier you retire, the less money you can collect. So one of the ideas that's being floated is by saying, okay, if we would say that, for example, in order to get full Social Security benefits, instead of being able to retire at 66, people had to work to 68 and you could still retire early, but you wouldn't get as much money as if you retired at full retirement age. The argument is we wouldn't be paying out as much money, so we could make the Social Security fund last longer. But it would mean in order to collect full Social Security, people would have to wait longer to retire. That's that's one of the proposals that's out there, and it's one of the things that's being seriously looked at by Congress, is increasing, hiking the retirement age by maybe a year, maybe two years. Donald Trump, when he was campaigning, it said, hey, look, entitlements are off limits. I, I'm not going to, you know, we're not going to touch this. This is why Mitt Romney lost, because he was talking about entitlement reform. 
800-877-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Toll-Free Talk Line. Now, like I say, the way this proposal works, you would still be able to retire at 62 or whatever if you wanted to, but your payment would not be as much under this plan if you increase the full retirement age to like 67 or 68. What do you think? Is it worth Is it worth that? Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. What do you think about increasing the retirement age, say by a full retirement age, by another year or two, which again still lets people retire early, but reduces their payments? Is this fair? Is this right? If it's necessary, is there other? Are there better ways to try to quote unquote save Social Security? Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty is the number we discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. Eleven fifteen. Ooh, touched a nerve there. Eleven fifteen. Jeff Wagner, six twenty WTMJ. Eleven seventeen. Jeff Wagner, six twenty WTMJ. Walker Show's own funny man, Frank Caliendo, showed some serious, shared some serious thoughts about his career with Gene Miller and gave a few surprising clues on what's coming next. Check it out in the conversation tab at WT, the WTMJ app. By the way, we podcast this program every day. You can listen to it at WTMJ.com, the Wagner Show page. You can also download it, get all the notifications, all those different types of things. All right. Um, one of the ideas to, quote, unquote, save Social Security is to increase the retirement age. Right now, if you if you turn 62 this year, your full retirement age would be 66. The idea being if you increase the full retirement age to 67 or 68, people could still retire early, but their benefits would be cut. They wouldn't get as much as they get now. And if Social Security is not paying out as much money, that allows the the, the fund to be solvent for a little longer. 414-799-1620 is the number. Let's start with Steve in Berlin. Steve, you're at 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Uh, good morning, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Um, to me, this is a slam dunk, but before I even comment on the two variables that you talked about, number one, I don't really look at this as an entitlement program because of contributions made by the worker. And secondly, I believe that there is already income uh, testing for um, benefits that are paid out. Correct me if I'm wrong there. Well, too, I mean, it's... It's to an extent, yeah. I mean, it's not complete means testing, but but yes, you're right. Okay. And secondly, um, relative to the fix, to me it's a slam dunk. You increase the ceiling and you increase the minimum or the uh, age, and significant part of the problem is is addressed. And I don't know why these people just can't get that done. Well, because you're talking about potentially reducing somebody's benefits or making them work longer so people don't want to <laughs> don't want to do that but i mean those are for future retirees right um you know the the average age expectancy has increased dramatically um and so have uh, uh you know the ability to earn more money uh for those people again it's kind of a means testing to increase the ceiling um and i don't think you have to increase it massively but some increase seems to me to, to, to just make sense. Thanks for your call. And, and what you're talking about with the, the means testing, they, they call it the doc fix. The way I understand it is that, and I, I quickly get beyond my depth with Social Security, but um, this was uh, something that Obama signed into law last April. And the idea is if you're a retired person and you report a lot of income 
um, what they do is your, your Social Security benefit is reduced a bit um, with the money supposedly going to, uh, directly to help pay for health care for um, some other less fortunate people. So that, that's a form of means testing, but not like the complete means testing. 414-799-1620, Let's talk to Tony in Milwaukee. Tony, good morning. Good morning, Jeff. That sounds better than the afternoon, huh? <laughs> <laughs> well, especially knowing that, well, don't ask me that when I get up at 5 o'clock in the morning, my friend. But, yes, yeah, good morning. Okay. <laughs> hey, Jeff, I retired last year, November at 62, last October at 62. Right. And we figured out the difference from 62 to 66. Right. Okay. That that difference, that amount between those four years, I would have had to have been 82 before that all averaged out. Right. Now, between that and my little pension and my 401k, I got plenty to live on. Okay. Now, if they if they increase the retirement age, um, the, the estimate is that you would probably your payment. I'm just kind of looking at a table I have here. Might be might be might have been reduced by. Right now, it's, it was reduced by 25 percent. It might have been reduced by 30 percent. You don't think that would have made would that have made a big deal in whether you decide to retire at 62 or not if you got slightly less money? No. Yeah. For me, no. I mean, everybody's different. Right. But for me, I, it, it's plenty. Yeah. You know, and I was able to save during the years, too. I was kind of a hoarder at the end right. of the last five years of working. So right. Well, I, I, it worked out. Yeah. So, okay. So, you don't th- if, if this, you don't think this would be that big a deal, at least in your situation, one way or the other? No. Plus, you can, you can if you wanted to, you can, uh, you can work and make a, uh, Sixteen thousand nine hundred, right. if you wanted to. Right. You yeah. That, right. Until. Right. Exactly. Think, right. Before they start reducing, reducing your benefits. Um, right. When. When. Of course. Once you hit full retirement age, then. Then you can work, and there's not that that income cap. But right. If you retire at sixty two, um, you're allowed to make a certain amount. If If you start collecting benefits at sixty two, you're allowed to make a little bit of money, but once you get with $16,000 is the number, once you get over that, then they start taking away your benefits dollar for, for dollar. So, I mean, again, depending on what you're working on, as long as you're working full-time, it probably makes probably makes no sense to you know, start taking Social Security. Maybe there's a Maybe there's an exception, or maybe somebody's making very, very little money. But as a general rule, probably not. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty is the number. Let's talk to uh, let's see Frank on the south side. Frank, you're on six twenty WTMJ. Good morning. Yeah, good morning. I um, regard the Social Security. Yep. They should uh, eliminate the earnings cap that you pay to Social Security until you retire. That would help, I think. But the earnings cap, by that, like I say, right now. And again, I don't have the dollar amount right in front of me, but once once you hit a, like around one hundred thirty grand, and I, I could be off a little bit, you no longer they stop taking Social Security tax. Are you saying that you think that they should continue? You know, if somebody's making three hundred thousand dollars, they should continue paying that on all three hundred grand. Yes, until they retire. Right. Um, if you would do that to the people, that would mean that some people are are, are obviously going to be paying a lot more in tax than others over the years would those people who paid the high tax do you think they should be entitled to get more back from social security no i don't think so uh, okay all right i mean i, I think again thanks for call i mean that's the that, that that's one of the things that's out there and this is kind of the that's sort of the the soak the rich idea the fact that you know you why why do we have an income cap why do we cut it off when somebody hits 120 or 130,000 or whatever that dollar limit is we should make them pay on the whole thing even though 
they're not going to get anything close, even though they're not going to get any more in benefits than somebody who paid like the $130,000. Let's talk to Dick in Grafton. Dick, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, The the first caller uh, made some really good points there. Uh, But let me just add, uh, I think the maximum that you pay Social Security tax on is one thirty one seven on the employee side. But the employer, I don't think there's a cap. If you're making $4 million a year, I think your employer pays 7 point something on the full $4 million. So, so on the... You could be right. I'd have, I'd have to think I'd have to think that through. But you, you could very well be right, yeah. And, 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 you, and you made a, just a really good point with the, with the previous caller in that, uh, you know, if somebody makes a million dollars a year and then we, we, we take the cap off on, on what the Social Security tax is, are you going to give him benefits when he retires or her at a based on a million dollars? And of course, quickly everybody comes in and says, no, 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 that wouldn't be right. Right. But yet, so now what you've done is for somebody making more than $131,000 a year, you have instantly raised their tax rate yep. <laughs> by 7%. Yeah, a massive tax increase, yeah. no question about it. And, and a massive tax increase. And of course, the, the idea is, well, they can uh, uh, afford it. Uh, another aspect that I, I think uh, also falls on falls on deaf ears is the is the fact that the the, the whole program is is not a tax and an entitlement. It's an insurance program, and it was an insurance program from day one. These yeah. are really insurance premiums that are being collected, right? And to fund an annuity to be paid out. And uh, I, I've got a finance and insurance degree from Madison, so you know, 40 years ago I studied all of this stuff. The, 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 the assumptions that were made when Social Security started and which were continued uh, in, in all the changes that were made along the way never envisioned people living yep. well into their 70s, 80s, and, and in many cases 90s. Right. Um, I think that you and I will probably get substantially more benefits than we've ever paid in. And I and I think that this is you know one of the problems that that people you know fail to, to realize. You can move the numbers around, I don't care how you want to do it, but at the end of the day, uh, there's not enough money in right. the fund, in the insurance fund, to pay out the insurance benefits that everybody's been promised. And uh, so know, something has to be done. Something has to be done. And, and Jeff, you and I both know this has not been a secret. This has been out in the open yep. for what? Yeah. 20 years, maybe 30? Right, because it's like you're saying, Dick, it's a do the math thing. And, and, you know, people, you're right, the assumptions that were originally created, that they didn't include longevity. I'm not sure they included thinking that all the number of people, they didn't envision necessarily the baby boomers and all the people who be retiring. No, thanks for calling. You, you make an outstanding. Look, here, here's the point. Something does have to be done. I am not worried about there being Social Security for me. I, I'm not. But I am worried about there being Social Security for my dear friend from producer Hondo. And I'm especially worried about whether there's going to be Social Security for Hondo's child, you know, baby Hondo, Hondo Jr. And that that's what you have to be concerned about. And the idea of cutting benefits or raising their full retirement age a little bit, I understand why that's why some people don't like that, because it would result in a benefit reduction 
a small benefit reduction, but a benefit reduction nonetheless. And that's why some people don't like it. But we've got to see the big picture. And we continue to keep, keep kicking the can down the way. And sooner or later, you really are going to have a crisis. It's 1120 HF Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 1136, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Okay, in the words of the song, I won't be fooled again. I see, I I have learned my lesson. After watching for the last several election cycles, these polls that come out and are consistently proven to be wrong, I, I it, you do not have to hit me over the head with the hammer more than a few times to, I am now convinced that uh, the way we poll right now is just, is, is pretty much worthless. And I used to always say there were some polls that were reliable and there are others that aren't. After this last election, I, I'm just convinced that the, the way they go about polling nowadays just it, it's it just does not work. And so, at any time something comes out, I am just going to assume that it's just merely for, merely for entertainment value, other than anything else. But having said that, Belinda was just talking about this. There's a new poll out by an outfit called Public Policy Polling (PPP). They are a lefty polling group. All right. Um, the headline says Sheriff Clark headed for defeat. A new PPP survey of Milwaukee County finds that Sheriff David Clark is very unpopular and has almost no chance of being reelected next year. Now, this this poll was heavily skewed. It, it's a lefty polling group, and it's heavily skewed to Democrats. For example, they asked the people, who, who did you vote for? And 65% said they voted for Hillary Clinton. 22% or 26% or whatever said they voted for Trump. So it, it's an overwhelming Democrat polling base. Um, even by their their own admission. Um, only 31% of the county approve of the job Clark is doing to 62% who disagree. Beyond that, voters consider him to be somewhat of a national embarrassment. 65% say he's had a negative impact on Milwaukee County's image. Nationally, only 29% think he's had a positive impact. White voters are split 34 to 59 approval versus disapproval for Clark. Uh, black voters, 22% approval, 70% disapproval for Clark. All right. I don't believe that. I, I'm just saying that. Just I understand David Clark is controversial. And if David Clark ran for re-election, and I'm not convinced he's going to run for re-election. Matter of fact, my, my guess is he's probably going to, probably not. Um I think he would probably this time, more than ever, have a difficult time getting out of the Democratic primary because he runs as a Democrat. But I do not believe, I don't believe that countywide, countywide, that that his approval rating with white voters, the disapproval is 60 percent. I don't believe that. And I sure don't believe that black voters in Milwaukee County, that that 70 percent disapprove of him. I just, I refuse to believe that among democratic primary voters just 13 percent say they would support clark in a democratic primary today to 82 percent who say they would prefer someone else it, it's nowhere near that broad a spread now it, it would he be underwater probably clark this is the conclusion that the pollsters have basically has no path to re-election as a democrat at this point he probably could be the republican candidate for sheriff he gets a 72% approval rating for them, but then he would have no chance of winning the general election either way. I don't know. 
Let's see. The president of public policy polling at Lefty. Milwaukee voters think David Clark is embarrassing their country on a national level. Democratic voters are open to replacing him with just about anyone at this point. And again, his challenge, again, would be the Democratic primary. Donald Trump has a 30 to 63 percent approval rating in Milwaukee County. Scott Walker's is only 30 to 30 versus 60, 60 percent, 66 percent. That's the key that tells you how skewed this particular poll is towards the, the left. Um, yes, I, I have no doubt that Scott Walker is probably underwater. Is he underwater two to one as far as approval ratings? Um, no, no, I, I don't think so. So, again, uh, this this poll, Hillary Clinton, 65% of the people said they voted for Hillary Clinton. Um, she won Milwaukee County by 37 points in November, and uh, she still lost so I think if you try to read too much into this, there is no question about it. The fact that uh, David Clark, he will have challenges if he chooses to run for reelection. Like I say, I think the sheriff is I, I think he's decided that he's looking for something bigger. Now, whether that something bigger is running for U.S. Senate um, against Tammy Baldwin or getting some non-cabinet level job with the Trump administration or you know, going the media route and, and being a commentator on some national television show or national radio show. I, I think th- those are all possibilities. But uh, interesting survey that the poll, I think the one thing that I have learned is when you see these, read them for entertainment value. But m- if you want to make policy decisions, I wouldn't necessarily do that. And my other cautionary note would be that everybody over the years who has sold David Clark short, David Clark can't win this or can't win that. He's he's proven he's proven the naysayers wrong time after time after time. So were he to run again, I would not necessarily automatically dismiss him. But um, this poll does contain some bad news for him to the extent you choose to believe the poll. All right. Coming up next. If a coworker comes in and they're really, really sick, are you glad they're at work? It's going to be an interesting conversation. Stick around. 1142 Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 11.44, Jeff Wagner, 6.20 WTMJ. This is, of course, the the cold and and flu season. And there's been, over the last few weeks, there's been a kind of a nasty strain of flu going around. That's, um, I have managed to avoid it, thankfully. And that's one of the reasons got my flu shot, so I'm going to be happy about that. But, But lots and lots of people have been sick. When you get sick, there's always this... We all have this indispensable person concept, um, and, and we all we all we want to come to work, and we won't don't want people to think that we're malingerers or anything like like that. Because obviously, if you're not going to be there for a lot of jobs, you, you have to, you know, some somebody else has to fill in. And you've got to change schedules. At the same time, while you don't want to be labeled a, a malingerer. The other perspective is, I don't know about you, but I don't want to walk into a workplace with somebody who's really, really sick, who's touching some of the same things I'm going to be touching, or in the case of like my job, you know, breathing into the same microphone that I'm going to be bringing, breathing in. When I used to follow Charlie in the shows, it was always like, okay, Charlie, if you're sick, for God's sake, just call in sick because, you know, I, I don't. 
I don't want to catch whatever these germs are. 414-799-1620, 800-877-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage toll-free talk line. All right, when you're not feeling well, do, do you call in sick? Should you call in sick? Or should you, I'm using the description, play hurt, go on in and try to tough it out? And how do you feel about coworkers who do that? 414-799-1620 is a number. Let's start with Wendy in Paddock Lake. Wendy, good morning. Hi, Jeff. How are you? I am well, thank you. Okay, should people play hurt and come into work when they're sick? Okay, so here's my story. My husband's assistant has called in more times this January than my husband has taken off in the seven years he's been at this company. And he's salaried, so... Right. You know, they're paying him not to be there, and it's causing this, you know, huge animosity among the other coworkers because they're paying him not to be there, and they can't really do anything about it. I mean, he's far exceeded his days off and his personal days, but, you know, what are you going to do? He calls in, he says he's sick, and he's not there. He's trained, and by all accounts, he should be fired. Well, I guess so, well, but see, but my question, though, was going to be, Wendy, do you think the guy's a malingerer? Do you think he's he's just scamming the system to get extra time off? Or do you think he might really be sick? I think that it's, I think he's a malingerer. Okay. I think that he's <laughs> using the system to his benefit. Right. And he's taking more time off than he can because he has him where he wants him. He's trained. He knows a job. And, right. And it's unfortunate. Well, that under under your circumstance, it is if you've got people that are kind of abusing the system. At the same time, if the guy, for example, really was sick, um, you're, you're, you probably don't want him going in, interacting with your husband, getting your husband sick, and then he brings that home and gets you sick too. Right, right. It's like when do you not believe someone? Right, exactly. No, thank. And yeah. that, I mean, and that's why I think. I mean, you, I think it is fair to kind of look at, at at histories of things, and and I appreciate that there are people who are. There, there are people who are malingerers and, you know, will, will look for every excuse they possibly can not to come into work. Now, having said that, if somebody is, is genuinely sick, my producer, Hondo, a week or two ago came in with the flu. We ended up sending you home because you just looked awful. And it's just like – and part of it was – I like to think that I might be a good boss, but also it was like I, I don't want you getting everybody else sick around here. And I appreciate, I really appreciate the work ethic, and I appreciate the desire to want to come in and to work through this stuff. But at the same time, I, I don't want to be around people who who should be at home in bed because number one, they're probably struggling. They're not going to be doing their job as well if you feel absolutely miserable to begin with. And number two, I don't want them getting everybody else sick. Michelle in Waukesha. Michelle, you're on six twenty WTMJ. Hi, Michelle. Um, I was an employee at Children's Hospital for six years, and listening to the previous caller, I can kind of understand where they're coming from, but Children's has a policy. Now, mind you, we're taking care of sick kids. Right. (laughs) So if we're sick, we really, really shouldn't be there. Right. And my guess is since you're exposed to sick kids, just like people who work at daycare things and stuff like that, you probably pick up some of the stuff from the kids. Oh, gosh, yeah. The first year I was there, I was sick every month. And then after that, I didn't get sick for probably 10 years because right. I think my immune system was built up. Right, sure. But but the problem I ran into with children's is if you called in sick, you got an occurrence. And if you got three occurrences, you got written up. And if you and, and then the chain proceeded from there. Now, hmm. to, to add on to the previous caller, I guess I can see how that system would work to feed out the people or weed out the people that constantly called in sick. Right. But 
in six years I worked there, I believe I called in sick maybe four times. Sure. And to have to get, you know, an occurrence and right. potentially written up for that, I think is unfair. Well, you know, the way a lot of companies, and you know, we just switched over when, when we were taken over by Scripps, the way a lot of companies do it now is you get X amount of days a year. They call it paid time off. And it doesn't mm-hmm. matter whether it's sick days or vacation days or, or whatever. You get X a number of paid days a year, and you can use them however you want. And so, um, now, of course, that, that results in people not wanting to use a vacation day, uh, a sick day is a vacation day, so they try to come in anyways when they probably really you know should be at home. But I think that's the way a lot of companies are trying to do deal with this now, like PTO. It doesn't matter, Michelle. You can call in whenever you want, but you only get X amount of days a year to do that. Correct. And my current company, that's, that's how they operate. But yeah. particularly at Children's, there was one time my daughter had the stomach flu. I wasn't sick, but she had the stomach flu. She was maybe 10 years old. I still showed up to work, so I wouldn't get that occurrence. I right. was there 20 minutes punched in, said, okay, she's sick, I have to go home and take care of her, right. just so I wouldn't get that occurrence. Yeah, interesting. Now, thanks, thanks, and, it, see, and I think, for, I mean, I, actually, I'm, I'm very comfortable with the PTO thing, the, the paid time off thing, because it does, it, it for the percentage of people who are the malingerers, that, and that, that's, that's a small percentage, but that's, that's not fair to everybody else who, you know, has to cover these things, but the flip side of it is, you don't you don't want people i don't want people in a workplace when they shouldn't they shouldn't be there i don't want somebody at the desk next to me or whatever coughing up a lung because i don't want to get sick julie in menominee falls julie good morning you're on 620 wtmj good afternoon uh, or good morning rather you're <laughs> going to have to forgive me for my <clears throat> inability to speak nicely because um i have had the crud as we call it at work <laughs> right. for one month I got it on December 29th, and because upper-level management at my company really prefers to see you working at your desk, even if you have the ability to work from home, I've been in the office when I probably shouldn't have been, (laughs) and as a result, I went to the doctor yesterday, and I have pneumonia, bronchitis, and an infected sinus condition. So if I had been able to just work from home that entire time, would the entire customer service department now be ill? No. Would my work still have gotten done? Yes. But for some reason, that boss really likes to see you at your desk and believes that you're working hard when they can see that you're working hard. <clears throat> and so as a result, I've had this for a month. Do you have, at, at your company, is it is it paid time off or is it sick days, a certain number of sick days that you get? The paid employees are paid time off. Okay. And the salaried people are work as you oh, work. Okay, interesting. Yeah, it just it, look. I mean, again, I understand that you've got to have some rules to identify again the, the problem employees, the people who are going to take advantage of the system. But Julie, with all due respect, just listening to you, I would not want you sitting next to me for the last two or three weeks. I just you know because really good right now. Yeah, I sound really good. Okay, so so two weeks ago it would have been a lot worse, huh? Oh my God! I infected the entire customer service department. Uh, 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 uh. <laughs> um, but, but see, and of course, that puts you in a bad spot because first of all, you fall, you feel miserable, and now you know all your coworkers are probably like, okay, well, I now I know why I'm sick. It's because Julie came in and she gave it to me. So it it, it just it's a mess. The coffee machine. I <laughs> yeah. the doorknob. And, uh, yeah. Oh no! My I, boss went around. And sprayed the entire company with bleach and Lysol. <laughs> it, it would have been easier just to let you work at home, right? 
yeah. yeah. And much better for them. Thanks for the call. Let's talk to Deb in Campbellsport. Deb, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning. Um, well, I have to tell you, screener, we're on a dairy farm, and there's just the three of us, so... <laughs> I, I, we, I, we, <laughs> <laughs> I have said this before. I have so much respect for dairy farmers because that when you talk about hard jobs, that's about as hard a job as it gets because those, those cows don't care if you're sick. Those cows don't care if it's New Year's Day. They don't care if it's Christmas Day or the 4th of July. They just know they got to be fed and milked, right? Yeah, that's right. A few years ago, I had, well, that's more than a few years ago, we all had a blast, bad flu and... And um, I was in the barn milking, and all of a sudden I'm hanging my head over the side of throwing up. <laughs> it uh, wasn't a good thing. But. Yeah, no, I, I, I understand. I mean, I, I say this sincerely. Thanks. So, I mean, I just, it, it hit home a long, it, actually, it hit home when I was running for statewide office a few years, several years ago, that, and I, I spent some time with these dairy farmers and stuff, and I really realized how, how tough a job that is not just physically demanding and not just the economics of the farming industry, but just the, the pressures because yeah, if, if you're a dairy farmer, you, you can't take a day off. I mean, they're the, like I say, those, those cows need to be milked. 1157, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. I, I'm, I'm, getting, I'm getting triple teamed here. Scott Warris, John St. Augustine, Eric Bilstadt, WTMJ today. What's coming up, Scott? It takes a village. It takes, it takes a village to do the noon to three slot slot, okay? You and me are doing crosstalk. I've known you eight years, Jeff. Did you and ever we, we think? have never done crosstalk before. We, we're very, very welcome. Actually, you know, we, we get you out oh, from the man, producer's booth true. and behind the microphone. WTMJ today coming up after 12 o'clock, Jeff. We're going to delve into the latest in the firing of uh, Sally Yates. Gone. Saturday Night Massacre is an analogy that's being thrown out there. No. Is that accurate? No, it's not. <laughs> It, uh, it is not. the analogy being used, that's for sure. So we'll, we'll chat about that a little bit. Have you ever been fired for not doing your job? Is it as simple as that as to what happened? And then John, with a, a great find, the, the Milwaukee VA has a great mm-hmm. event coming up this weekend, 235. We're going to talk about it, right? Absolutely. We're going to be talking about how these guys, uh, through an arts program, are working through PTSD, which is you know top of news mm-hmm. for anybody that's uh, gone through difficulty like that. And, and a lot of times the VA does not get the recognition for some of the work they do, and rightfully so. Uh, but this is a good thing, so we're looking forward to that. And then, Jeff, we got the four at one, of course. So that's all it, coming up. All coming up on WTMJ Today. Stick around. I am out of time. I'm back 8.30 tomorrow morning when we do this all again. Have a great Tuesday. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ.